Amen. Good morning, Maple Grove. Good morning, Maple Grove. All right. All right. You do want to go home, don't you? All right. Hey, I, I, I want to read a passage just to start off. It's not really tied to my, my sermon, but I read it this morning. It's kind of a, not kind of, it's a preview of coming attractions. And, and this is what's coming one day. This is your, this is your future and mine. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down with the will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise. And then my thing wasn't scrolling. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start at 16 again because it wasn't scrolling down, it was stuck. And uh Let's go back here. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, first the believers who have died. Do you have any loved ones who have died that that are with the Lord right now? Will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, then we'll be with the Lord forever, so encourage each other with these words. Do you find those words encouraging? That, that We know how the story ends, right? No matter how messed up this world can look, we know that one day the sky will split open, one day Jesus will return, and either we'll be in the grave and we'll come up and meet him, or we'll be here and we'll come up and meet him, and all our loved ones that have gone to be with him will meet the Lord in the air and will be with the Lord forever, leaving behind all the junk, all the chaos, all the disease, all the death, all the violence, all the hatred, right? It, it may be tough now sometimes, but in our life, right, we know, we know how the story ends, right? And that should encourage us, right? Uh, don't get so focused here that you forget where you're, where you're going. Amen? Okay, welcome to week two of our series, Such Things Were Written. The theme verse is Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Paul writes, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, they give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises, as we wait patiently for him to split the sky and take us home. And what Paul's saying is that the Holy Spirit inspired men to put on paper things that were intended to teach us God's truth and that were intended to give us hope and to, and to give us encouragement. And, and I think if anything we need in the year 2020 what a year 2020 has been, right? If you told me in February what would, where, where we would be today, right, and, and, end of July, I would not have believed you. This is nuts. This is crazy. But if there's anything I think we need, more than anything, we need hope and encouragement and the truth of God as revealed in his word. And last week, we looked at the story of Ruth and Naomi, and, and she taught us, Scripture taught us some valuable lessons, right? Lessons that give us hope, lessons that give us encouragement, Things like your tragedy can lead to triumph. Your character matters and is refined in the fire. Your sacrifice may be your salvation. Your happy endings are never just for you. And then your story is to be one of redemption. And and this morning we're going to unpack a 
a story that I'm confident everybody in this room, everybody listening online, and pretty much everybody in the world has heard of before. Whether you've been in church, whether you read the Bible or not, you know this story. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Anybody know what that story is? What story do you read about in 1 Samuel chapter 17? Not everybody all at once. It's hard to decipher what you're saying. David and Goliath. All right. All right. Confidence, right? And we're going to follow the same battle plan we followed last week where I'm going to tell the story and then we're going to pull out some lessons from the story intended to give us hope, encouragement, and to, and to teach us, right? Again, a familiar story, right? You've known this, I mean, when you're knee-high to a grasshopper. And that's pretty small, right? And, and, uh, but I, I just want to encourage you to hear it fresh, right? You know, to, to hear it, ask God to give you eyes to see and ears to hear, because I'm confident that that God wants to say something to everybody in this room to enable them to take down whatever giant is standing in their life, keeping them from the life that God wants them to. Let's pray. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you for this incredible opportunity, Lord, to open up your word. Crazy that uh, these things were written uh, 3,000 years ago and by Samuel to tell this incredible story of David. And they're written for a reason, God, to teach us, to give us hope and to give us encouragement. And God, I pray that uh, we would breathe out every single distraction the enemy is throwing our way because he loves giants. He loves taunts that keep us paralyzed in fear. And God, open up our hearts and minds and ears that we would hear what you would have for us. I pray, God, that because of what happens in here, because of the truth of your word, God, that giants will indeed fall. In Jesus' name, amen. Maple Grove, there are giants in the land. And I'm not talking about huge people. I'm talking about huge problems, huge issues. I'm talking about hang-ups and hurts. I'm talking about habits and obstacles that stand in the valley and they taunt us, they intimidate us, they frighten us. Question, what is a giant? A giant is something that stands in your way. It's something that keeps you from living the life that God created you to live. A giant is something that keeps you from living a life that is abundant and free, that is satisfying and full. And now your giant may be a relationship issue, maybe something in your marriage with another family member, with a friend. Maybe your giant is, a, is an addiction, alcohol, drugs, sex, just something that has a death grip on you and that is starting to suck at everything in you that is good. Uh, maybe your giant has something to do with some problem that you're dealing with. Problem with your kids, problem with your parents, a problem with your health, a problem with the health of a loved one, a problem at work. And maybe your giant has something to do with COVID-19 concerns and restrictions and you're not sure how you'll be able to get through it. Maybe your giant is money, finances, and the lack thereof. Uh, maybe your giant has something to do with fear or loneliness or insecurity, a lack of confidence, a, a lack of a belief in yourself. Uh, maybe your giant is something very painful from your past, uh, an abuse you suffered or a mistake that you made, a mistake or abuse that has defined you and wants to continue to be your identity even today. Uh, maybe your giant is something you know you need to do. A conversation you need to have. 
a relationship you need to break off, a person you need to talk to. Maybe it's something you feel that you need to do for God, but there's this huge giant in the way telling you that you can't do that, you'll never be that, you should just give up. Final line, here's the deal. Giants paralyze us and they keep us in the hills. They, they, they keep us from living the life that God created us to live. They keep you from experiencing God's mighty hand moving in your life. And, and I'm pretty confident that most of us in this room and those online, right? I see you out there. You think we can't see you? We can. We install cameras. Like I said before, we have cameras everywhere, right? Nice new pajamas. They look good. Nice. I'm glad you washed your hair this morning. No, I'm just messing. Maybe you did. Good job. All right. Uh, but I'm, I'm confident we know what our giant is, right? You know what's in your valley. You, you know what keeps you living in the hills. I mean, I mean you, you've heard their taunts more than once telling you just to stay where you are, telling you to forget about the valley, to forget about the dreams, to forget about living the awesome life that God has marked out for you because for you to live that life, you got to get past them. And they're Goliath, and you're just a shepherd. Now, and now it's not like we, we want to stay stuck in the hills. I mean, we grow weary of all the fear and the doubt. Uh, we're tired of seeing our, our, our dreams fail and our hope for a better way dim. And so every now and then, we, we, we muster enough strength to get up and head down to the valley. But once we reach the valley's edge... Our giant, who seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger, starts his taunting. For some of you, your giant has been taunting you for days, weeks, and months. For some, your giant has been taunting you for, for years. Like you've been living on this hill for so long that you're pretty confident that you, like your dreams, will die right up there in the hills. But listen, God brought you here this morning. God has you listening on the line right now. So the guy named David can tell you how 3,000 years ago he stepped into a valley and he took out the giant in his life. Get it? Good. In the beautiful valley of Elah, there are two armies on opposing hillsides with the valley between them. The diplomacy is over, the negotiations have failed, and these two armies are about to do battle. And back then, you waited for the signal and... Both sides just charge at each other. Think Braveheart, right? You know, think Troy, right? And whoever won, whoever won the battle would win all the spoils, right? All the land, all the money, all the possessions, all the people, everything. And it wasn't the first battle that these two armies, the Philistines and Israel, fought. Uh, they've been battling each other for years. And what, what happened on this day is that something unusual and we're going to begin reading at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 3. You may want to turn there. And, and uh, if you have a Bible app, I'm using the uh, New Living Translation. Okay? And as you're turning there, remember, such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us, to give us hope. Could you use hope? And encouragement. Do you, could you use some encouragement? as we wait patiently for God's promises. And just one more thing before we begin reading. What's your giant? 
Like, like what is this obstacle in your life that is just keeping you from the life you want to live? It'll help if you think about that giant as we read, because that giant is your Goliath. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. That is ridiculous. 125 pounds, I couldn't even imagine. He also wore bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, which must be pretty heavy and thick. Tipped with an iron spearhead, the head, weighed 15 pounds. His armor barrier walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. And listen, that's the template for the favorite taunt of our enemy. I am, and you are only. I am a great, strong, powerful champion, and you are only a small, weak, insignificant person, a failure, a loser. I am, and you are. You see, our giant likes to define. Your giant likes to define who you are. Don't let him do that. He goes on, choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. And if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. He defies who? I defy the armies of Israel today. Put that in your back pocket. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Have you ever been terrified and deeply shaken? What was it that terrified you? What was it that caused you to be so deeply shaken and How did you respond? Now, the next several verses, we read how Jesse goes to David and says, hey, I need you to go check on your brothers. I need you to take them some food. I know they're probably hungry. Take them some pizza and garlic knots. That's how it worked back then. You know, that if you didn't bring them food, um, they wouldn't have food. And and so David does that. He has someone watch his sheep, and he goes to check on his brothers. We read this. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening took his stand. That's two times 40 equals 80. And so that's 80 times that God's people were terrified and deeply shaken. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a, of a shepherd. He's responsible, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed, you know, he, I like it. He's responsible. He's obedient to his dad. He reached the camp as the army was going out to battle, to the battle position, shouting the war cry. And they go, yeah, we're going to get him, Ryan! I mean, they sound so confident, right? Not really. Not for long. Israel and the Philistines, we're talking thousands of warriors, were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance. David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. I mean, picture that. 
We're talking thousands of warriors. You just shouted a battle cry a few minutes earlier. They hear Goliath, and these warriors, these men, are running away in fear. Now, the Israelites have been saying, do you know how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy, defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt him and his family from taxes in Israel. No one's ever liked taxes. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for him who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of what? The living God. You know, everybody else, right? Goliath, I defy the army of Israel. Israel, he's defying the army of Israel. David sees the bigger picture, right? David said, hey, this guy is defying the armies of the living God. He has a proper perspective. They repeated to him what they've been saying and told him, this is what we've done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the man, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you lead the few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited and how wicked your heart is. You came only to watch the battle. Now, now why do you think his brother, his oldest brother, is, is responding that way? Warren Wearsby said this. I think it's true. You know, whenever you step out by faith to fight the enemy, there's always somebody around to discourage you. And it often begins where? It often begins in your own home, right? I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It, it, trust me, it can happen. I love David's response. Like, like, seriously? What have I done, David said? Can I even speak? He, he then turned away to someone else. Isn't that the perfect response? Seriously, dude, really? All right, I'm just going to ignore you and turn away to somebody else. And he brought the matter, and the man answered him as before. When David said, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, uh, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul's response was, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> There's no way you can fight this Philistine and win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since youth. Thanks for the pep talk, your majesty, right? But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I run and hide like a wimp. No. <laughs> I go after it with the club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. Are you picturing this? And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done that to both lions and bears. Lions and giants and bears, oh my. Lions and giants and bears, oh my. <laughs> and I'll do it to this Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord has rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear. He will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said. And may the Lord be with you. I'll be in my tent hiding under the bed. And Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things. I can't go in these, he protested. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again, right? You know, and we have to fight the battle in our own armor, right? God made you who you are. Don't try to wear someone else's armor to fight 
your battle. Does that make sense? He picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put them into a shepherd's bag, then armed only with the shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with the shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here. And I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. Now David can do some trash talking, right? He can back it up too. David replied to Philistine, you come to me. You come to me, right? With sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And I think Goliath's starting to freak out, right? Because, you know, to me, you know, and, and I know, you know, if Paul knew about Rocky, he would have quoted Rocky all the time. This is Rocky three, and this is Rocky fighting Clubber Lang for the second time. He was so terrified of Clubber Lang, but I'll tell you what, in Rocky three, that second fight, they go in the middle of the round. And when Clubber Lang tries to get all bowed up and wants to freak Rocky out, Rocky just stares at him. And Clubber Lang, a.k.a. Mr. T, does not know what to do. Like, hey, this guy's supposed to be afraid of him, and he's not. And then David continues, Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and I will cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to that, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching to a shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with a sling and it hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone, the stone sunk in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled out Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and to cut off his head. And then Israel pursued the Philistine army. They ran. They ran 10 miles back to Gath, and the whole time they're running back, Israel's army is, is killing the enemy soldiers, and they won a great victory. See, those soldiers needed a leader to follow, right? That's all it took was a leader to follow, and they were ready to go. And then David, uh, I love what David did to Goliath's head. This never made it any, any children's church books, right? You know, no one put this on the wall in the nursery. He takes the head of Goliath, I love this. I'm sorry. I shouldn't, but I do. And he takes that head and he goes outside Jerusalem and he holds it. Yeah. You're next. I'm coming for you. Oh, but I love it. Sorry. I apologize for loving that. Um, and then he takes the sword and all and he puts it into his tent. That's a great story. I'd love to send that. Been there. Now we're going to talk about some takeaways, all right? Because it was written for a reason, right? It's a great story, but it's not just to remain a, a children's story. It's for us as well. And, and the takeaways, I, I want to build around the idea of how we can defeat our giants. And first, to defeat our giants, we must face them. We must face them. Now you're thinking, okay, duh. <laughs> it's obvious, you've got, got to face them. But listen, for 40 days, there was a late army. They didn't. They refused to face their giants. And notice he didn't go away. He got worse. He got bigger. Like, it, it, if you let a bully take your lunch money on Monday, 
and do nothing about it, don't even put up a fight, what happens on Tuesday? He's taking your lunch money and your iPod, right? You know, they don't go away, they get worse, right? That's what we're seeing with all this violence that we don't stop. It just gets worse, right? If you don't stop violence, you don't stop a bully, the bully gets emboldened, right? It's just common sense. So, and, and by the time that, that David arrives on the scene, Goliath has already challenged them 80 times. I mean, for 40 straight days, morning and night, they woke up afraid and intimidated, and they went to bed afraid and intimidated. 40 nights, 40 days in a row. They began and ended their day in fear and intimidation. Ever been there? You see, they kept putting it off. And the more they put it off, the more intimidated they got. And the more intimidated they got, the more impossible and hopeless their situation seemed. And listen, it's the same thing when we battle our giants. The more we delay in battling them, the more intimidating they become, and the more hopeless and impossible our situation begins to seem to us. And it becomes so much harder to deal with. But you know what David did? David shows up on day 41. He sees the giant. He hears his taunts. He says, you know what? I'm not putting up with any of that uncircumcised Philistine nonsense. The guy has got to go. And when Israel woke up the next day, guess what? There was no more giant in the valley taunting them. But I'm saying it wasn't easy for David to do this, right? I mean, we can read it and think it was easy, but for David to, to face this giant, he had to overcome several things, the same things that you and I need to overcome. And one of the obvious things, right, he needed to overcome fear. I understand when facing a giant, when you're going up against something that looks like an impossible situation, fear is a legitimate emotion to have. I mean, I can't stress that enough. Fear is a legitimate emotion to have. You see, David was facing someone a lot bigger and a lot stronger than he was. And I'm confident as he grabbed his staff and made his way down that hill, that his heart was pounding a little bit, right? And as he kept going further and further in that valley, Goliath kept looking like he got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Got nothing wrong with being afraid. It's natural. But the problem comes when we let fear keep us from doing what we know we should be doing. And in 1 Samuel 17, that's exactly what the army of Israel did. They allowed the fear of Goliath to stop them from doing what was right as they were consumed with two of fear's favorite words, what if? What if Goliath wins? What if I fail and let everyone down? What if our nation becomes slaves? What if they take our land? What if I get hurt? What if? What if? What if? Has that ever happened to you? Has or is fear keeping you from doing something that you know you need to do? Something that God wants you to do? Fear can be very crippling. And before I move on, let me say this. You know, you can be afraid and still be courageous. Actually, it's hard to be courageous without fear, right? See, see courage, is, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the absence of self, right? right? Fear is when we're worried about ourself. Courage is when we step in because there's, something, there's a cause greater than ourself, right? I mean, 
What motivated the New York Police Department and Fire Department to run into buildings that everybody was running out of on 9-11? You know, it was courage, right? Sure, they were afraid. Yeah, they wanted to go home to their families, but there was a cause greater than that because their job is to serve and protect people. And so they ran in because that their courage was based on a greater cause. So, see, courage is stepping into the valley and facing a giant, even though we're afraid. So we need to overcome our fears, and then we need to overcome naysayers. A naysayer, a naysayer is someone who systematically obstructs some action others want to take. See, once you overcome the fear factor, you have to overcome the naysayer factor. And David had naysayers coming at him from every angle, right? First his brother, older brother Eliab. Why have you come down here? With whom did you leave these few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. That's kind of harsh, big bro, right? (laughs) Seriously, big bro, I brought you pizza and garlic knots. And you know, I I think, you know why I think he got angry? This is speculation, but I, I think he was angry because David's courage and faith caused him to realize that he was a frightened, cowardly wimp, right? He was a coward. And no one wants their little brother to make them look like a coward. And, and, and see, and here's what, here's what people do, especially bullies, right? You know, if you, rather than deal with their own issue, you attack the person, right? So rather deal with his own issue that he was a fear, he was a coward, he should have done something. He had 40 days to do something. Rather than acknowledge his own issue, hey, I'll just attack the other person. And that's what he does. He attacks his brother. And again, Saul was no better. Right? This is ridiculous. There's no way you can fight him and win. And besides, aren't you my harp player? There's no way I'm sending a harp player, a musician, to go fight a 10-foot giant, right? So when you decide to take on a giant, there will be people who will want to see you fail. People who want to see you fall flat on your face. People who want things and who want you to stay exactly where you are. Some of you nod in your heads because you know what I'm talking about. I mean, when you take a stand and you say, you know what, I'm done with those behaviors that dishonor God. I'm not doing them anymore. There will be people who will try to pull you back in, won't they? When you decide to go on that mission trip, there will be people who will tell you, hey, that's a waste of time, that's a waste of money, Right? When you decide to do something significant for God, to step up and take on a ministry at church, to, to have that tough conversation, to, to share the gospel with a loved one that's lost and, and you want to see them spend eternity with God, or to take a bold stand for the truth and what is right, there will be people, maybe even close family members and friends, who will, out of love, say such things as, you don't want to take on something that big. Honey, I don't want to see you fail. You know, I don't want to see you fail. I don't want to see you get hurt. Maybe you should rethink that. You you try to break that addiction for years. What makes you think you're going to be able to do it now? I mean, just own who you are. Are you sure you're ready to make that kind of commitment? I mean, what about you and the things you want to do? Bottom line, if we want to step into the valley and defeat our giant and live in a new and better way, 
we can't listen to the naysayers. Like David, we've got to ignore them. You don't have to hang around and debate them, right? Because they're not interested in debate. They're not interested in truth. All they want to do is stop you from doing what you feel you're called to do. Ignore them, turn away, and listen to another voice. Because here's what happens. If you listen to the naysayers long enough, that naysaying seeps into you. And who guess who becomes the worst naysayer in your life? You. You. You're going to tell yourself you can't do anything, never could do anything. Why should you even try doing anything? And just one more quick thing we need to overcome besides fear and naysayers. We've already touched on it, but it's, it bears repeating. We need to overcome procrastination. <laughs> okay. Day one, David faced it. Israelites didn't. And Goliath must have seemed, right, like he was 900 feet tall on day 41. Face your giant now today. They will only get bigger. They'll only get bolder. They will only get harder to handle. Next to feed our giants, we need to visualize a reward. I mean, David said, hey, what does a guy get? You know, like, what's the reward for the guy who kills this guy? Well, you know what? He gets the hand of the princess. You know, he, you know he, he, he gets a boatload of cash. And he's exempt for taxes. And his family is exempt for taxes for the rest of their life, right? And so when David went down the fight to Goliath, yeah, he, he was offending God. But he really, hey, you know, there's, there's a reward. And there's nothing wrong with a reward, right? You know, re- wanting a reward, Scripture talks about us being rewarded. Degrees of rewards, right? It talks about that. And we need to see the reward of victory, right? And I think one way to think of that is, what would your life look like if your giant wasn't there? If he wasn't standing in your way, if he wasn't taunting you. I mean, what would happen in your life? Can you picture what would happen in your life what your relationships might look like, who you'd become, where you would go, what you would do, how you would feel, and the peace you would experience if the first thing in the morning, the last thing at night, wasn't this giant rumbling in your landscape. We need to visualize a reward. Visualize a life free from the giant. Now, unfortunately, many times we, th- we simply accept and get used to our giants and we learn to live I'd rather exist with them, and they become barriers to us. Right? We just accept it. It's the way it is. Years ago, some researchers did an experiment that took a 200-gallon aquarium and put in a northern pike. Here's what a northern pike looks like. I think we have a picture. Do we? We don't have a picture of a northern pike. That's what it looks like. They can, they're, like, huge, right? Even have teeth, like Real big. Google it when you get home. And, and, and what, what the researchers did, they put them in a 200-gallon tank, chilling out, and they would j- drop in a bunch of minnows, and, and it was like, hey, good life, swim in the tank, they feed me every day, working for me. Well, then after a while, they, they put it in a plexiglass in it. And, and so he, the pike's on this side, here's the plexiglass, and here's the minnows. He sees the minnows, dinner, <laughs> dinner, 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 and he did that, they did it for a period of time. He kept running into it. Eventually, I don't know how many days it was, they pulled out the plexiglass. And guess what happened to the pike? It starved to death. Yeah, that's right. 
Menders were right over here, just on the other side of the tank, but he had been conditioned to believe that it was not possible for him to swim over there and to get the fish. And I'm amazed at how you and I have become conditioned like the northern pike to believe that we cannot do battle with our giant. That this is just the way our life is. Your other people are able to do this, but I can't. Yet God is able to move in great ways in other people's lives, but not in mine. Other people can move beyond these issues and get on with their life, but not me. And listen, if we fall in and we adopt and embrace the Pike principle, you know, the opportunities before us and the possibilities around us will always seem impossible and unavailable. Get it? Good. But that's not how David swam, right? David swam, keeping his eyes on the prize, eyes on the apprentice, eyes on no taxes. Eyes on the wealth, eyes on the reward. If you're a giant, we must face them, we must visualize reward, and we need a solid anchor and a clear focus. And what was David's confidence in the might and power of his God? You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you. This is the Lord's battle. There's something standing in your way of you becoming all that God wants you to be. Stands in the way of you becoming the masterpiece that God created you to be. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. You see, David's faith, his confidence, it, it wasn't in his armor. It wasn't in the, it wasn't in the army. It, it wasn't in his ability. His confidence was in the might and power of God. You see, to David, what mattered was not the size of his giant, but the size of his God. And, and here's what I know, that, that, that you will not go into the valley to face your giant if your God is too small. Instead, like the Israelites, you'll settle for life in the hills hiding in your tent, shaking and trembling in fear. I like what A.W. Tozer writes. Uh, Christianity at any given time is strong or weak depending upon our concept of God. I insist upon this, and I've said it many times, that the basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy concept of God. Our religion is little because our God is little. Our religion is ignoble. I had to look that up. <laughs> uh, not honorable in character and person. Because the God we serve is ignoble. We do not see God as he is. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Are we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. So if we need a big God, how does our God get bigger, right? Like we know he's bigger, right? But how do we translate that into real life? David did two things, right? 
David, number one, he remembered his past victories, right? What did he say? Hey, hey, you know what? I took out a lion, lions and bears, and God helped me, right? He remembered his past victories. See, see a lot of times, we, we, we forget what we ought to remember. Remember what we ought to forget. Most of us, in vivid detail, if I ask you, hey, tell me about some of your great victories, you'd be like, and I really want a lot of detail. You, you'd struggle. If I say, hey, tell me about some of your worst defeats, and you'd be able to boom, 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 like, like it's still there, vivid detail, right? You know, and, and, but we, we need to, when God shows up and does something big in your life, he wants you to remember that, right? You know, um, why do you think David took Goliath's weapons and put them in the tent? I think to remember his victory, right? I think, I really believe those times he had doubts when he faced things. He, he went in and he, he looked at that sword. And he was reminded of the day that God showed up. If God does something in your life, you need to remember it. What did Israel do? Many times they would set up called stones of remembrance, you know, where they, were, they remind themselves of the times that God showed up. Yeah, he, he split the Jordan so we could walk on dry ground, right? You need to remember your past victories and also remember the past victories of other people in scriptures, right? You know, if God showed up for David, right? He'll show up for you. He'll show up for me. Share your victories with other people, right? That made his God bigger. Oh, he does show up. He's a God who shows up. He's not a God who's distant. And the other thing that David did is he, he pursued, David pursued a, a, uh, a deep relationship with God. See, he trusted God because he knew God. And you cannot trust a God you don't know. You may want to trust him, but if you don't know God, you won't trust him. And see, David trusted God because he knew who God was. And so David could say something like this that he wrote in 2 Samuel 22. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. He is my refuge, my savior, the one who saves me from violence. I call on the Lord who's worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. He remembered his past victories. Do you? You need to. He pursued a relationship with God. Are you? And you do that through Bible and the prayer, right? So see, David's confidence was anchored in the might and power of God. Where is your confidence anchored? And David's focus, we're about done, for real. David's focus, but this is so important, this last point, was on the honor and glory of God. The day the Lord will conquer you and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. The whole world will know. Everyone assembled here will know. You, you see, David's focus was on the honor and the glory of God, which Goliath had defiled. David wanted people to know. He wanted his people to know because they had forgotten. He wanted them to know how big and strong and mighty and powerful and faithful his God was. David's focus was not on his own honor and glory. It was on God's honor and glory. And listen, when God's honor and God's glory are our focus when we take on a giant. Look out, 
Because that giant is going to fall. Amen? It's going to fall. Okay, let's wrap this up. Imagine with me, if you would, that it's early morning and the, the mist is breaking. And then there he is again. It's the giant. The one who has taunted in your valley for years. And if you would, just humor me. Do me a favor and just close your eyes here and all around the world online. <laughs> Do you see the giant for what he is? For how ugly? For how disruptive? For how much chaos it has caused in your life and the lives of those around you? Then can you picture what your life might look like if that giant wasn't there? Whatever the issue is, whatever the problem is, whatever the thing is, can you see what your life would be like if the giant was gone? And can you hear God's voice? Now, I know it may be hard to hear his voice because there's so many other voices trying to crowd him out. But listen, if you lean in, you will hear him say to you that I love you and you're not alone. And you'll hear him say your name. And you hear him say that with me beside you, with your confidence anchored in my might and power, and with your focus on my honor and glory, with me beside you, with your confidence anchored in my might and power, and with your focus on my honor and glory, with me beside you, with your confidence in my might and my power, and with your focus on my honor and glory, you're going to see a victory. Because the battle belongs to me, your Lord. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you cause giants to fall. And God, I'm confident, Lord, that there's at least one or two people here or at home, God, that, man, there's been something taunting them. There's been something standing in the way of them becoming everything that you want them to be. And they think there's no way, God, that they can bring that giant down. But God, I just pray, Lord, that they would just realize whatever it is, whatever the problem, whatever the issue, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, whatever the addiction, whatever the past hurt and abuse, whatever it is, God, that with you beside them and with their confidence in your might and power, not their own, and God, with their focus on your honor and glory, that their life would bring you honor and glory, God, that they would see a victory. Holy Spirit, just do your work. May what David experienced, what Samuel put on paper 3,000 years ago, may it teach us and may it give us hope and encouragement this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.